Remember the E-Trade baby? A lot of people are like, isn't it difficult to invest in the markets? And I'm like, not if you're using E-Trade. Making a big investment is as easy as a single click. Boom, I just bought some stocks. I think he was the first meme investor. He didn't last long. Wait, why is this line going down? Oh God, just dropped 400 points. This is not happening. Dear Lord, I made a horrible, horrible mistake. Or maybe he just moved on to the social media site Reddit and lost hundreds of thousands of dollars trading stock in GameStop. Turns out he's just one of many. Take it back! Sell, 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 sell! Too late, it's all gone. This show is all about separating hype from fundamental change. I'm Paul Jarley, Dean of the College of Business here at UCF. I've got lots of questions. To get answers, I'm talking to people with interesting insights into the future of business. Have you ever wondered, is this really a thing? On to our show. So GameStop has obviously been in the news a lot over the last week. And to help me understand what's going on here, I've convened a, a panel of experts. Kevin Malale is an assistant professor in our finance department. Garrett Cummings is the president of our student investment club and a finance major. And I pulled in our own Josh Miranda, who knows a little bit about viral marketing and maybe viral finance, to, to have a conversation about GameStop and its short-term and long-term implications. But I want to start out with a story. When I first came to UCF, one of the first groups I met with were some executives at EA Sports. And they said to me, we know right now we're a company that puts a $60 box in a GameStop for people to purchase. But we know that's about to go away. We know that a few years from now, we will have developed into something like iTunes, where people electronically download whatever the game is into their console. And we think after that, we will become a company that offers various components of games that people can download and create their own game. And we want to understand that consumer more and what aspects of the games they like and dislike so that we can meet that market demand when it comes. Now, I raised that story because that was 10 years ago and EA Sports' new GameStop was dead then. So when I first heard the stories about GameStop, I have to admit my first reaction was, wow, they're still around. Why would anybody invest in GameStop? Is there a legitimate reason to believe that GameStop has a future? Kevin, you want to kick us off? I'll pick on you first. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I did a bit of um, researching that that question myself, actually, um, kind of thinking the same thing, because you know, as uh, as you guys probably know, at, at certain points uh, during this whole um, incident, uh, GameStop was actually more valuable as a company, as a going entity, than was Best Buy. And uh, and again, that's my my reaction is the same or as yours. Delta Airlines, I think Correct. I read somewhere. Correct. So all kinds of crazy, um, you know, misvaluations very clearly. And so I, I looked back into the history of it, and and kind of the thing that that has come out is that there are actually quite a few people that were long in GameStop, um, even sort of middle of 2019. Explain long. Explain long, Kevin, for our listeners. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. So yeah. so they had uh, established a position where they had held a good number of shares in that company. So mm -hmm. they had, they were investors in that firm, um, mid 2019, early 2020, um, well in advance of any of this taking place. 
and the argument, one of the most famous guys, um, you know, you know, that had established a pretty sizable position in GameStop was Michael Burry, who um, listeners may be familiar with from the movie, The Big Short. He was kind of mm-hmm. one of the guys that very famously predicted that the housing market was going to collapse. And his argument for investing in GameStop was basically that it had been mismanaged, that they had a whole bunch of cash on their books, that they had been uh, making a bunch of bad acquisitions and just generally had had poor management and a lot of managerial turnover at that time as well. And his argument was that, look, hey, if we can get these guys to buy back their shares, we can take cash off the books and deploy that uh, more efficiently in the market. It's going to make the firm more valuable and the shares more valuable. And so that was the argument for it is that they had a lot of cash on the books. We can basically just kind of skim this thing down um, and take that cash and make it make it more valuable elsewhere. And so mm-hmm. that was that was the argument um, for him and then several other hedge fund investors who came in uh, later on as well to try to establish to, to, to take some control over that firm. So the argument was potential, basically. OK, so that cash had built up over a number of years. That's my understanding. OK, because I, I doubt they even own the real estate they're in. Right. I mean, I think there's probably little asset there. Yeah, I'll, that's probably true. What what I definitely know is that the number um, that I saw as far as their cash holdings was like $500 million. Wow. So very sizable amount of cash that they were just basically sitting on or, or misusing in many cases. Well, because here's one of the first questions I would have for our two younger colleagues who are here on this podcast. Josh, when's the last time you set foot in a GameStop? <sighs> I mean... I know you're a gamer. So... The difference is setting foot in a GameStop, maybe a little bit more recently, but actually buying something from a GameStop, it has been quite some time. It's just, you know, most game consoles nowadays, the new ones don't even have disk drives, so you can just download the games, you know, directly from the vendors, from the publishers. So why, you know, leave your house to check out what's out there when you can just download it? Garrett, how about you? Uh, You ever set foot in a GameStop? Yeah, it's been a very long time, I must say. And being a brick and mortar company, you guys said it best. Everything moving online, it's, you know, GameStop is definitely not the first place I think of when I want to download a new uh, video game. <laughs> You're right. They're in a space where you can download things directly located in shopping malls. Could there be a company in a worse position than GameStop? It's, it's kind of hard to imagine, really. So it's, it's not surprising, I think that some hedge funds started shorting it. Kevin, would you mind explaining shorting for our listeners? Yeah. Yeah, so this is a pretty common thing that hedge funds do. So when you short a stock, what you are doing is you are borrowing those shares from somebody else in the market. You are taking them and you are selling them in essence, and then hoping that the stock will fall so that you can later go back and buy them uh, to replace what you've borrowed. And, And thus you win, you make money if those shares fall. The risk, of course, is that they could also go up. And if they go up, your risk is, is unlimited. They could go up to infinity, theoretically, and you would lose you know, a whole bunch of money or all of your money. Now, just so I understand the scope of the potential loss here for the market, um, you can't short more shares that are in circulation, though, can you? Is it, is it the number in circulation or is it the number authorized? Um, so the, you know, one of the impetuses for these, for the, you know, sort of Redditors to to find GameStop yeah. and, and begin squeezing these guys is the fact that the short interest was actually above the the shares outstanding, oh. you know, in aggregate, not not a single trader, of course, yeah. but in aggregate, uh, I, I want to say the number was 138%. 
So they had shorted 138% of all shares outstanding. And so the issue there becomes that clearly everybody can't buy back the shares they've shorted at one time. Right. And right. so if, if you start to see the stock price increase, some people are going to be hung out to dry because they will not be able to buy those shares back to cover their position. Um, and so, you know, it, it obviously can get a bit more technical when you start mm-hmm. differentiating between shares outstanding and then the shares that are actually available to be traded. Uh, what the term would be float. Yeah. Um, but, but long story short, that yes, there was an issue here that the amount of shorting that was going on exceeded the amount of shares that were able to be traded or available to be traded. And this got some hedge firms, as I understand it, in trouble. The question I had there is it surprises me that a hedge fund would have a significant percentage of its portfolio in a, in a short position with a particular company. Is that unusual? It's, it's actually not that unusual. Um, and, and the reason is, is, you know, if you think about sort of investing, like one of the things that we would teach our students right off the bat is that diversification is done to eliminate firm specific risk, right? You right, hold a diversified, you know, you hold a diversified portfolio to get rid of that. Yep. Now, if you're holding a diversified portfolio and you're not really taking any firm specific risk, it's also difficult to generate abnormal returns. Right, you're in essence yep. holding the market, mm-hmm. and so if you're a hedge fund and you've got five or ten really great ideas, one way that you can generate abnormal returns is by basically going all in on those five or ten ideas, especially in the case of short campaigns. And so that's it's actually not as um, abnormal as you would expect. That's just one of the things these guys do. They're they're very in many cases high risk vehicles for investment, and that's what they do. They just take on these very concentrated bets because they believe in them or, or they believe they can influence the outcomes or, um, or other things like that. Garrett, do you have any GameStop, GameStop stock? No, uh, it's kind of interesting though. It, 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 uh, the stock itself met our criteria perfectly around the $30 mark. An idea that we're teaching our members is something called volatility contraction, meaning that we're not buying when a stock is bouncing around from 20 to $40 in big swings looking for when the stock really settles down in in a period of five days to a few weeks uh, within the context of an uptrend. And so we teach our members to buy when the stock makes a new high after it's consolidated for a a period of time in a very tight manner. And what this allows us to do, uh, it allows us to take a a decent sized position in a stock like Kevin was mentioning, but because the volatility in the stock has dried up, uh, it allows us to keep our risk for a stop loss very close behind it. And so uh, a few of my friends followed this trade, actually. And so they had 30 or 40% of their accounts uh, in this uh, trade when it broke out with a portfolio risk of only about 0.8% roughly behind it. And so uh, did it meet our criteria? Yes. But uh, sadly, because of the fundamental idea, I didn't believe in GameStop at all. Uh, I succumbed to the more of the fundamental side and I did not uh, take the trade myself. Did you have some friends who got rich? I had a few friends that made about uh, 40 to 60 grand. Uh, so not, you know, a million dollar stories, but, you know, definitely enough to uh, pay off any debts outstanding, especially at our age. And uh, yeah, they did very well on it. <laughs> so why didn't GameStop use this as an event to raise even more cash? Kevin, maybe you answered that early, but do you have a sense of why they didn't do that? Yeah. So um that's, that's actually one of the long-term implications of this whole incident that I, I think is the most interesting. Um, so there, there are a couple of reasons practically. One, it's, it's obviously hard to do a seasoned equity yeah. you know, issue that quickly. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and then the second is more just from an investor's perspective. So sort of my like um, non-technical description of this whole thing would be that it felt like musical chairs to me. Like who's going to be the last person yeah, standing right. that's holding the stock, right? And you so don't want it to be you, right? No, no, absolutely not. And so typically what's going to happen here is with these equity issues, you know, these equity issues, they're going to be underwritten by an investment bank. And, you know, the, the first sales are going to go out to institutions and stuff like that. And, you know, what institution in its right mind is buying GameStop at 300 bucks a share? You know, what is your expected return in that world if you've paid 300 bucks for this? And so I suspect that there's um, some of that going on as well, is that they just know that this is not really viable. Like they could they could do an equity issue, but they're not getting $300 a share for that. Yeah. So who are these Reddit people? Give me some insights here. Are these are these guys in people's basements? Josh, you want to weigh in here? Yeah. As a so, reader of Reddit? Yeah, so <laughs> I, I mean, a, a lot of my work is kind of in, in digital media and marketing communications. So I kind of end up spending a good chunk of my personal and professional life kind of following these trends, these social media communities, if you will. Um, and this, uh, the subreddit is, is what it's called. And this one is called Wall Street Bets. Uh, this has been around for several years, as a matter of fact. Um, you know, there's something like, I think, tens of thousands or even hundreds of thousands of people who frequent this subreddit to some degree. Um, and the idea being is that they kind of treat Wall Street, you know, a little bit more like a casino and they make a show of some of their buys and some of their losses. I mean, they have their own language for, you know, the way they describe some of the trades they make and for the losses that they have. And it's a lot of it kind of surrounds like the way a meme can go viral, for example. And this whole GameStop thing has kind of happened the same way, where you have people who are blindly investing in GameStop just because of the herd mentality, and then they're posting about their, hey, I lost 20,000, I lost $30,000, and they get a whole bunch of upvotes on their post, and the community cheers them on. It's really, it's this kind of This is where the term meme stock comes from? Is this, that where this? This yeah. is exactly where, yes. I, I'm, well, I'm you're fairly, paying a lot for that fame, it sounds Yes, like. yes, I, I believe this community is the one that kind of coined the term meme stock. Um, and, you know, it's it's right there along with the likes of with AMC, with with BlackBerry companies who similarly you may not think would be doing too well. Uh, Kevin, is this a legitimate area of research in finance? Absolutely. So um, this is actually kind of well timed. We had a, um, a seminar speaker here a few weeks ago who presented a paper on Robinhood and um, and basically talked about, you know, retail trading and, and how Robinhood is facilitated and that and what the effects are. In essence, this has become a this is a really extreme example of his paper. But basically, what he was saying is that um, you know retail traders, people on Robinhood, this this kind of demographic of trader, essentially buys stocks um, sort of ignorantly. They just buy whatever is going up or going down, um, and then they just lose their lunch. The the stocks that they buy go down quite significantly, five or ten percent over the next twenty days. Um, and so, yeah, this this notion of how retail trading could affect the market and um, you know, the propensity of people to, to be trading over Robinhood and things like that is, is definitely important, um, especially given the fact that retail trading has is, is become bigger now, you know, with Robinhood and, and um, you know, the sort of commission free trading and, and that type of thing. It's definitely getting to be a more economically significant portion of, of the market. Yeah, if, if I can jump in there, it's kind of been fascinating to watch it from the lens of this this Reddit community because they quickly turned against 
Robinhood, once they started limiting trading of some of these so-called meme stocks, GameStop, AMC, and they almost took on this sort of David and Goliath sort of mentality. We got to stick it to the man. You know, we're going to stop using Robinhood. We're going to leave them negative reviews on the app store. And it's just been interesting to see the way that herd mentality has really driven so many of these like key decisions and financial decisions for a lot of these people. Do we have any estimates of how many people we're talking about here? You mean on, on the community or how many yeah, have bought? Yeah, well, in, in the description we're talking about it, I, I, I'm going to be a little blunt here. Um, the number of stupid investors that appear to be out there. Sure. Well, so uh, on the front page of, of this subreddit, it lists 8.6 million degenerates is what they call themselves. And that's people who are registered as part of that community. So it's a lot of people who are at least following this. Yeah. Garrett, do you have any sense of that? Just yeah, from, in a yeah. way. I'm, I'm very proud of the American people for getting back into the marketplace. The number of investors has been on decline since 08 for a little bit. And it really, I, I've done a lot of some, uh, studying of the market history. And it really does feel like we're back in the roaring 20s a little bit. And, you know, back when the American people did take a big passion in the stock market and me being a young, passionate person myself about it, uh, I really hope this opened people's eyes to saying, wow, even if I were just invested $100 in this company and I did it at the proper time with low risk, I could have done, uh, I could have had a very nice uh, rainy day fund off of that. And so to me, it's inspirational. We're taking down the barrier of, uh, of the big guy versus small guy. The uh, information nowadays moves so fast. And you know, the fact that this little Reddit page of Wall Street users uh, was able to uh, find out like, wow, this stock is 140% short interest. Let's run this sucker through the roof. The fact that they were able to do their due diligence, even though there are a lot of, of uh, crazy people out there who just go with their herd mentality. Uh, the fact that they came out with that information when no other fund or hedge fund that easily could have done the same thing found it. Uh, I think that speaks volume that the uh, playing field between institutional and retail investors is narrowing at a very rapid rate. Yeah. Is it America? Is it an American phenomenon, though, or is it a worldwide phenomenon? Does anybody have a sense of that? I know. I know. I've seen I specific. Know. I know. I know. I've seen specific commenters just kind of browsing through the threads. That I mean, there are people from other countries. I don't know if they're the ones actually, uh, you know, making the spend here. But I mean, there are people who frequent this website who aren't from the states. Where are we now with GameStop in that story? Is it? I thought it was down to about ninety dollars a share. Is that the last I saw? Is it down below that? It really depends when you check because uh, yeah. it changes every 30 seconds. It's pretty hypnotic to watch. It's 61 right now. Is it 61? Yeah. So are, are we near the end of the story, do you think? Uh, personally, I think we, this is something we've seen time and time again if you've paid attention to market history. Uh, in the early 1900s, you had the Northern Pacific Railroad uh, have a similar mm. phenomenon. It was $150 a share, short interest is to the roof, and a group of traders decided to take advantage of it. And the stock in one day went all the way up to $1,000 a share before coming all the way down to $350 a share. Uh, you've had these boom and busts all throughout history. You had the tulip craze, the South Sea bubble, uh, the dot-com bubble. So it's all sorts of things. And usually when a, a trip, and most recently in the cannabis sector about three years ago, uh, you had Tilray go from $30 all the way up to $300 a share. Uh, so usually when you get these type of moves in a round trip, uh, if you didn't get any, if you did not lock any profit, I think it's a very excellent time to go ahead and f head for the exit door. Uh, the easy money was made on the way up, and now it's just very similar to catching a falling knife. 
So Garrett, I have to admit it's kind of refreshing to have a young guy tell an old guy like me to try to remember history here because it repeats itself regularly. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I get a lot of uh, jokes from my friends because I've read uh, Peter Lynch's old books, Morty Zweig, uh, the old Market Wizards books and so on. And, you know, Jesse, a guy named Jesse Livermore said it best. Human nature is not going to change. So as long as the markets are dictated by human nature, only the names are going to change. You're eventually going to see a similar bubble situation uh, elsewhere. And if you call it a bubble, you can be scary. But if you call it an opportunity, then you can catch it on the way up if you find a low-risk entry and do very well for yourself. So, Kevin, how do you think the GameStop story is going to end? Is somebody going to buy them? Or are they going to go out of business? What's going to go on there? <laughs> I'm not sure. I mean, I, I think they clearly have to evolve. I mean, that's, that seems obvious that the you know, bricks and mortar or video game sales is not really a sustainable operation. Um, in terms of the trading, I'm not sure. Like, I actually think that this could be a, a more regular event. And I think data is coming out when I was when I was kind of reading about this this morning. A lot of data is coming out that maybe this wasn't really the retail versus Wall Street kind of thing that it was pitched to be. That, you know, like one of the main guys in Reddit was was a guy who worked for Mass Mutual. And is an actual broker, you know. And there's there's questions now about how legal his action. I was just going to ask that. Was that legal? You know? Yeah. So there there there's quite a bit going on here. And you, you know, a, a story came out yesterday that said that this Senvest investment, which is a hedge fund, they made mm -hmm. seven hundred million dollars off of this. Yeah. So it's it's not even obvious to me that this is a retail versus Wall Street thing. And um, you know, the, the funny thing is, is that you know, this is social media, and maybe the medium by which this is taking place is a bit different. But, you know, this has been kind of a tactic hedge funds have used for a really long time with trying to get stocks to move in the direction that they want. Like when a, when a hedge fund does a short campaign, they often do media events about it and they, they, they do press releases and they, you know, accuse the firm of doing things that are not so great and, and that kind of thing. So this idea of trying to get some collective action on a stock isn't, isn't really new either. Um, and, and I'll be curious to see if, you know, later we find out that there was a bit more, um, you know, on the hedge fund side and the institution side, sort of um, poking the bear on this one a bit. Um, so I, I don't think that this will be the last time we see something like this. And I'll be very curious if we get more information that reveals that this was not just, um, you know, Redditors who are mad at the stock market or mad at Wall Street sort of fueling this, uh, this run. How, how about meme stocks generally? But Josh mentioned here, which if I understood Josh, was people sort of bragging about their losses. Yeah, yes, and I, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm not as much the finance guy as much as I am kind of the media guy, um, but I, I had personally never heard of, you know, mass amounts of people bragging about as all the money that they were losing this community specifically refers to it as as loss porn is what they call it and it's people who just kind of celebrate uh you know people who've lost all this money from making stupid decisions and kind of laugh about it collectively although we don't know if they really lost money though we just know they created a meme they, we, uh, they show their portfolio <laughs> oh, so really? from you know from what from everything that they've provided it's like here's my portfolio i lost a lot of money <laughs> Now, if, if I could touch on the psychology behind that, there's a guy named Ed Sakota, and he's quoted as saying, everyone gets what they want from the market. And <laughs> the market is like subconsciously engraved in how they perform in their trading. And so some people are just purely in it for the adrenaline and the thrill and the gambling. And I think that's where you see a lot of those people on Wall Street bets. It's just subconsciously in their mind that they're going to lose in the marketplace and just don't do anything to change it. Are we going to see government regulation here, Kevin? 
Um, you know, I think the, the thing where you could see it is certainly this this notion of, of uh, Robin Hood shutting down trading or only yeah. allowing people to close out their positions. I mean, I, I do think that there's that there's something to that. Um, you know, it's it's an interesting question of, of what the, you know, of course, it always comes down to what your belief about the government's role is ultimately, right? This, mm-hmm. this It doesn't appear to be a clear right or wrong answer to me here. Um, you know, of course, on the one side, you've got these people who are saying, hey, we, we know what we're doing, we know what we're getting into, and we're adults, and we should be able to do this, right? And, and on the other side, the government's saying, well, you know, maybe, maybe not, you know, because some of you are going are gonna to lose your lunch on this one as well. So I, I'm not sure. I, I think what's going to come out of it is probably more transparency about why that decision was made. And I think, you know, sh- you know, clearer rules about when these companies and these, you know, brokerages and things like that can actually halt trading because Robinhood is getting taking the brunt of this, but other brokerage, excuse me, other brokerages just did things like increased margin requirements and Mm -hmm. just made the trading more costly. And I think just, you know, more transparency on those rules, um, the specific terms by which or on which trading would halt, I think will be the the most likely outcome in my mind. What do you think, Garrett? Uh, personally, if anything comes back to say that retail investors should not be able to uh, do this type of maneuver and in the name of sub, uh, uh, secretly you know, protecting the quote unquote hedge funds that did get messed over, uh, I would find that pretty messed up uh, pretty much because you know the market's supposed to be free. You take your bet and if you lose, you take it like a man and you move on to the next trade. Uh, that's how it's been since the stock market in the began. Uh, you saw in uh, 1929 when people got burnt, but guess what? We didn't change regulation just because people had their feelings hurt. Now, I would definitely love to see the more details about Robinhood and how this affects the uh, the brokerage side. Like, did they act within their guidelines in the name of "quote unquote" protecting the investor? And even if that's the case, you, I don't think they should have the right to infringe on a free market. If someone wants to buy or sell something, and there's shares available for it or not available. Uh, they should really honestly get what's coming to them because that's how they learn. And uh, in 2015, I blew my stock account pretty heavily. I took it from about $20,000 down to 2000. And you know what? That's part of the game. If you don't know how to play the game, the game is going to teach you the rules. And the people who did get burned by this, they're going to learn the rules very fast. And the people who have are prospered from this, I hope they have the rules and don't go into something else and give away all their gains. There's there's another side to that story though right, that um, would be the argument in favor of some sort of regulation, which is just how we want an efficient capital market because we have to remember that the trading and the and the sort of return generation is a consequence of the market, not the goal, right? So if you that if would we be take nice. A, I agree with that, Kevin. <laughs> you, you know what I mean. So if you take a step back and you think about what the purpose is of the market to begin with, the, yeah. the, the entire purpose is to match savers and spenders. Yeah. Right. And so if you get into this situation where you have a market that is clearly not efficient, like on no planet, can you possibly justify GameStop at $300 or $400 no. <laughs> a share? Right. Then you get into the concern that Dean Jarley brought up at the beginning of this podcast, which is why didn't some firms issue stock during this time? And the answer is GameStop clearly is not going to get 300 bucks a share, but AMC did. Right. They, mm-hmm. they, they did issue stock during this time. And the concern then becomes if that capital is going to a company that's overvalued like AMC or GameStop, it's not going to somebody else who has a legitimately viable project that they could pursue. And so the the reason why efficient capital markets are important is because we want spenders to be able to finance projects that will grow our economy. And so that's that's the other justification for having, you know, at least a conversation about regulation is not just like winners and losers in the market, but it's 
the economy as a whole and how the market facilitates economic growth. Because losing trust in that market would be a really bad thing. Absolutely. I would arguably say, though, that judgment and value is subjective. When you have a stock that's close to 140% short interest, uh, and you know that, wow, if we can get a short squeeze here, this thing could run, and these uh, short positions cannot cover in time, uh, you can either see as, wow, the stocks have $300 a share, or you can see it as the fact that people on Wall Street bets and other institutions saw that, wow, this thing's 140% shorted. We can run this to the roof and make it killing, just like the old commodity raids back in the early 1900s. But I believe that brought regulation, did it not? Uh, no, you to can commodity markets lock limit down and in, uh, inside the commodities markets to this day. You don't have organized. They limit the amount you can buy to try and yeah. prevent that. Yeah, yeah. But uh, it's it's it still can happen when you get mm. lock limit up or lock limit down. And if you're on the wrong side of that trade, uh, it can be a nasty little spill. So um, is this going to be a story a year from now? I'm going to ask each of you. Are we still going to be talking about meme stocks and things like maybe GameStop maneuvers going forward? Or is this transitory? I mean, if these redditors are bragging about losing twenty or thirty thousand dollars, it doesn't seem like that's a sustainable <laughs> has a sustainable future, right? <laughs> Not like, in my check, out of money at some point. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought too, Kevin. How, how about you, Garrett? Uh, I don't think it's going to be GameStop and AMC, but uh, like I previously said, only the names are going to change. So human uh, emotion and uh, nature loves putting bubbles that we've seen it throughout history. And so you're going to have something else out there that goes from a dollar to $50, kind of like Neo went from $4 up to almost $50. Uh, you're always going to find explosive stocks in the market. And that's exactly what we're trying to teach our members is, okay, how can we identify these opportunities with a small amount of risk and get into them, take our money and get out before the bubble bursts, essentially. Garrett, you got any interest in going into a PhD program in behavioral finance? Uh, not really. And, uh, <laughs> I've just done a lot of studying and it kind of goes back to what I was saying about Ed Sakota. You get what you want out of the market. So the difference between a losing investor and a winning investor is the losing investors who got their tail handed to them are not going to find what they need to do to win. Myself, uh, I can't pull it up here on the podcast, but uh, I've taken my trading to the level of building a full data Excel sheet that updates live time. And that way, I'm having every tool at my ability I need to uh, feel out the market, be able to place uh, the proper bets when I need to. And mm-hmm. ultimately, it's a, a spreadsheet on how to manage my risk while maximizing return. Josh, what do you think? Is this the latest social media craze and it's all going to go away or where are we here? You know, I think that might be a little part of it, but it's 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 like anything when you have a lot of people who are you know putting a lot on the line to really do much of anything that kind of becomes a news story. And when you have millions of people who are on this subreddit who are even just, you know, even if they're just monitoring what's going on, that in and of itself becomes the story. I know, you know, now some of these Redditors are focused on uh, driving up some cryptocurrency. Dogecoin is one of them. And so it seems like, again, I'm not the finance guy, but it seems like they're just going to move on to the next thing and then on to the next thing. And might they be able to make waves somewhere with some stock or some crypto? Perhaps. But uh, it's it's clear that these people are just they're still going and this community doesn't seem to be going anywhere. So if they make another headline somewhere along the way, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I would just like to take the opportunity to point out that more than two years ago, we decided that Bitcoin is not a thing, at least as a currency, and it continues to exhibit volatility, which makes that impractical. 
<laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Not a, th- a thing or not a thing, though. Somebody out there is making money on it, I guess. It's my podcast, so I get to go last. Let's start with the thing I'm most sure about. GameStop is not a thing. There was a reason so many investors were shorting it. And I don't see the company making a major turnaround. At least not the GameStop we know. It may serve a niche market in a nostalgia space or as a secondary seller of older equipment and games to parents buying their kids their first video games. But for the most part, the world is past GameStop buy. I'm not investing in it. As Garrett mentioned, bubbles happen from time to time and some people will lose their shirts. In a twisted display of macho investing, some of these traders will want to post about it online and claim they're tough enough to take it. But unless they have unlimited lines of credit, serial meme investors aren't really going to be a thing for very long. Even the E-Trade Babies run ended relatively quickly. I suspect meme stocks won't be a thing for very long either. Chalk it up to a few people getting their 15 minutes of fame. Not a thing. Just shankopotamuses. Here's what I think is the real story. Social media gave retail investors a way to coordinate their behavior and maybe influence a market outcome in a way that wasn't possible in the past. Perhaps a stick it to the man or let's burn it all down motive played a role with the Reddit group of investors who see the system as rigged and were willing to risk losses just to make a point. But ultimately, these retail traders were just participating in the very thing they're protesting against. Historically, coordinated action by the masses to change market outcomes has been viewed pretty dimly by governments. When manufacturing workers organized in the early 20th century to fight back against what they saw as an unjust wage system, the government took pretty strong action. Add the likelihood that some institutional investors may have participated in the Reddit GameStop action and are certainly thinking about how to weaponize efforts like this for their own benefit in the future, and I suspect government interest in curbing this kind of behavior in the name of protecting efficient markets is sure to arise if we see a few more repeats of the Reddit GameStop story. What do you think? Check us out online and share your thoughts at business.ucf.edu podcast. You can also find extended interviews with our guests and notes from the show. Special thanks to my producer, Josh Miranda, and the whole team at the Office of Outreach and Engagement here at the UCF College of Business. And thank you for listening. Until next time, charge on. Internet killed the video star.